You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Good morning. Our, our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and verse 14. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In our passage from Isaiah 9, we're told the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them Has light shone. The world is a dark place. We know this. It's all around us. It's in the reports of abuse and neglect of children. It's in our family conflicts, depression and loneliness, suicide, losses of all kinds that we have experienced, disease and death. And then, of course, even for those of us who find ourselves in more comfortable seasons of life, we too have our own darkness, often masked though it is, as the 20th century novelist Aldous Huxley has put it. He writes, it is those who appear to be most normal who are the real hopeless victims. Because, he says, they are normal only in relation to a profoundly abnormal society. These millions of abnormally normal people living without fuss in a society to which, if they were fully human beings, they ought not 
to be adjusted. What's Huxley saying? He's saying that for the normal, the so-called normal of society, the, the well-adjusted, even while we tend to locate sickness and darkness outside of ourselves, somewhere out there, the darkness is in here too. This is us. So never mind for a minute the darkness out there in the world, on the news and the media and stories told of impoverished places. What about your darkness? And what about mine? Our own secrets, selfish ambitions and prejudices and lusts of all kinds. What about my own pathetic apathy toward those who are suffering, whether across the street or across the world, or even across the kitchen table. We are lonely and broken people in a, in a busy city full of lonely people. And for many of us, this too is our own darkness. In our passage this morning, the prophet Isaiah writes to a people who walked in darkness, a people who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Israel, in this context, had abandoned their God. They had gone after loving and serving other things, other gods, we might say, pleasure, wealth, fame, comfort. The Jewish elites had come to use their power in ways that only benefited themselves, oppressing the poor, uh, those who were on the margins. And this, of course, did not please God, our God of Justice, And we might ask, are we so different from the people of Israel in these regards? And in response to Israel's rebellion, God, we find, is bringing judgment upon them. But now, here in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, we find a piercing word of hope. Up till now, Isaiah has been talking about judgment. Uh, Assyria is coming, this great nation. Look out, death, destruction, exile. This is what's coming upon you, Israel, for your sins, for having turned away from the God who is light. You are going to find only darkness. And all of a sudden, in this context, that these, these hard words of judgment, we read these surprising words. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone, light shining into darkness. Israel needed this, and we need this. And this is what Christmas is about. You may be surprised to hear so much talk of darkness and gloom in this Christmas season, but this is what Christmas is about, it's about light flooding into our darkness. And this morning, I'd like us to consider this light by asking three questions. Who is the light for? Second, what does the light do? And third, how does the light come? We'll begin with the question, who is the light for? The light is for all, we find, especially for those in deepest darkness. You can look with me at verses one and following. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them 
has light shone. Who is the light for in this passage? Well, according to our reading, it seems to be for Israel. He's not talking to the whole world here. God is talking to his own people, ancient Israel, promising them light. But it's important to note here, uh, something that we can't afford to miss, that everything that God does for Israel, he does for the world. What What I mean is, yes, God's light is for Israel, but it's never just for Israel. Why do I say that? Because Israel was founded on this promise. I will make you into a great nation and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you throughout the scriptures. There's always this movement from the particular to the universal, from one toward all, from Israel to the nations. And the same thing happens here in Isaiah. God here says, I will bring light to you, Israel. But then later in Isaiah 49, we find that the Lord The God of Israel says, I will also make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So, we can ask again, who is God's light for here? Yes, it's for Israel. But through Israel, it's for the world. So that whoever you are listening today, wherever you're at, please hear this. That God's plans in history have always been to choose particular people, particular nations, at particular times, to be the bearer of God's blessing to the whole world, to all people. And that this is how God works. This is how God has revealed himself in history and in the scriptures. That Judaism and then Christianity both, in this sense, were never meant to be exclusivist religions, but always a means of God's blessing to the whole world. But now, we need to go further here. Because to say that God's light is for all, while this is true, it also risks missing something in this text. It risks missing the particular people to whom the light first comes, and to to whom the light is, is promised. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, we read. The people who walked in darkness, we read, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Light here doesn't come just for anybody, at least not at first. It comes first for those who are suffering, for those in anguish, for those in deep darkness. Zebulun and Naphtali are those parts of Israel on the periphery, farthest from Jerusalem, also known as Galilee of the Nations, the place where the people are most like the nations. Uh, they had a reputation for being polluted by paganism. Dark places. They were the first places to undergo the judgment of God at the hands of the Assyrians. The first places of Israel to be conquered. Galilee, this land known as the impure, the impious, the godless. The ones who seem to most deserve to be cut off from all of God's people. And God says, my light will break there. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. God is making a bold statement here about who his light is for. Yes, it's for all of Israel and all people. And yet... It comes first and foremost for those in dark and even insignificant places. His light comes to the broken, 
to the rebels, to sinners, not the righteous, to the sick, not the healthy, to the humble, not the proud, to the lepers, not clean people, to outcasts, not the socially respectables, to fishermen, not the Pharisees, to adulterous women, and not the self-righteous. Jesus identifies not with the rich, but with the poor and the poor in spirit. Do you want to see where the light of God is shining? It's in the face of Christ. It's in the face of Christ. And where do we find uh, the face of Christ? Where do we see the face of Christ? For I was hungry, Jesus says. I was a stranger, naked. I was sick and in prison, and you did not minister to me. You didn't visit me. And then they answered him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Do you want to see where the light of God is shining? It's in the face of Christ. And where do we see the face of Christ? We see him in the face of the poor, the lost and the neglected. If you're listening in and you're rich like me, you have many of the things that you want. The Lord be with you. God loves you. His salvation is for you. And he welcomes you to meet him in the face of the poor and the needy. And if you're feeling stagnant, far from God, it may be that your drawing near to the poor and the oppressed will be you are drawing near to God himself. Zebulun and Naphtali in the darkness is where God's light breaks in. And if you're listening in and feeling like perhaps you don't quite belong, um, you wonder whether or not this God could have any interest in you. You're convinced that your life is too dark for God's light. Hear this. God comes for you. His light is for you. It's especially for you. But now, what does this light actually do? This is moving into our second question. What does this light do? And here we find in verses 3 through 5 that the light brings abundant life. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is what light does. It brings joy, we see in verse 3. The kind of joy that comes at the harvest, where there's abundance. The kind of joy that comes at the end of war, when all is one and all is yours. Verse 4 goes on to say that light brings freedom. It talks about the day of Midian when God gives victory to Gideon over, uh, over tens of thousands of men with 300 men only. And they win. Freedom. No more oppression. No more injustice. No more abuse and beatings. And the light brings victory, we see in verse 5, obviously related to this. That at the end of a war, the Israelites would often celebrate with a massive fire, a burning of uh, dedicating some of the spoils to God and burning up the bloodied and broken tools of war, victory. 
The point here is this, that when Isaiah is talking about great light coming into, breaking into this deep darkness, this isn't just a nice idea. Light in darkness isn't just about getting good feelings. It's not a matter of things getting a little better or putting a positive spin on life. No, great light flooding into deep darkness means everything. It means a turnaround. It means something dark and difficult and bloody and hopeless becoming bright and beautiful. In short, if God promises light to come into our darkness, he's promising nothing less than abundant life, joy for you, freedom for you, victory for you. And if that's true, it's appropriate to to ask, Where is this light? Here we are, something like 2,700 years after Isaiah was writing, and is it not still dark? Do we not still suffer? Are we not still enslaved? Is our world not still full of suffering? It is. So what is this light, then, that's promised to Israel? How, How does it come to us? How did it come to them? And how does it come to us? Well, in verses 6 and 7, we find that for Israel and for us, the light comes, well, in an unexpected way. It comes to us through a child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, there are a number of indicators in this this text, in this context, that the people of Israel understood this prophecy, this word of prophecy in Isaiah 9, to be about King Hezekiah, that the government would be upon his shoulders. Uh, Hezekiah, who was born around that time, he he was a great counselor, he turned out to be, a, a mighty ruler, leading Israel into a time of peace. In fact, he saves Israel from great destruction at this time, against all odds. It's, it's quite a story. Breaking the rod of the oppressor, you might say, uh, Assyria resulting in rejoicing and freedom and victory. There is certainly a fit between uh, this prophecy, this word of prophecy, and Hezekiah's, the establishment of his reign. But the question we need to ask is, was Hezekiah really the end goal of Isaiah's prophecy? Certainly many Jewish and Christian interpreters have taken it this way. But it seems to me that there are several problems with this. Uh, First off, Isaiah doesn't promise a prolonged government and prolonged peace, but says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But of course, Hezekiah dies and Jerusalem is eventually conquered about 120 years later. There was an end to peace that was brought by Hezekiah. And then, of course, there's the problem of all the names. This child is to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Try fitting these names onto Hezekiah. It's like trying to fit Saul's armor onto the young boy David. It just 
doesn't quite fit. But there is another period in Israel's history that seems to fit Isaiah's prophetic promise. 700 years later, there was another time of deep darkness. Now under Roman rule, a time of oppression and taxation, persecution, mass murder, idolatry, great fear, political unrest. 2,000 Jews are crucified along the roadside to, to Jerusalem around this time. Rome's response to a Jewish tax revolt. Herod is enacting a mass slaughter of all babies in Bethlehem. A new period of untold darkness. And then, just as in the days of Isaiah, in the midst of this darkness, there is a birth announcement. This time, not from Isaiah, but from an angel of the Lord, echoing Isaiah, announcing the birth of Emmanuel, God with us the Prince of Peace, a son of David. His name would be called Jesus, a man from Galilee of the nations. And though nobody knew it, here he was. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I raised the question earlier, what does all this mean for us here, here in our own darkness and struggles? If Jesus is the great light, the child born, the true son, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the one whose kingdom will never end, what does this mean for us? Does Jesus' birth have anything to do with you? in your own darkness? Is his light true light, abundant life for you who would receive him? You have to wonder sometimes. Life can feel pretty dark. But of course, it's precisely here in this darkness where God's light breaks through. Hear now the good news of the gospel. Jesus' birth means that God is with us. He's not left us alone in our darkness. He's not left us to be damned. He's come for us. He's come to save us. He's come to save you. He came to live and to die and to be raised for you, to give you light and life, new life and peace. And this is, of course, what Christmas is about. God with us, Emmanuel. The gospel then, even proclaimed here by Isaiah, is not simply that God comes and eradicates all darkness in the world, though one day he will, but that God enters into our suffering with us. So that wherever you're at in your journey of life and faith, whatever darkness you find yourself in, hear this word of the gospel, that our hope, even through this present darkness, is that God himself, the true wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, that this God comes to us. He comes to you, even now, and invites you to walk with him, 
even through this present darkness. And this, this changes everything. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. May it be so for you and your families this Christmas season. May you know his peace and his light shining even into your own present darkness. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristchurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristchurchToronto.ca.